Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling art house. Ooh, okay. I'm feeling like a sartorialist who is radically cool, who has an eye and attention to detail, um, is experimental, forward-thinking, very, 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 very visual, and in fact, a trailblazer. Um, it's a lot of things, also, Rob. You're it is a lot, a of, lot things, of things. But today. I feel a lot of things for today's guest. And actually, when we logged on earlier, she overheard me saying that I loved her because I've never <laughs> actually, I've never even met her in real life. But she is someone that I have followed her career since my teens. And um, she's been making the most extraordinary contribution to culture uh, over the past kind of more than four decades and has made, I think, almost 50 feature films and has worked predominantly in feature film, not on television, which I love. I think it's such an interesting sort of approach and did start out even in music videos, which we'll explore later through someone that I know you love very much, Russell. But yeah, she's actually known as probably the world's best costume designer and at least the most well-known at this point in time. I feel like she's really brought costume design into the minds and the homes of so many people and also their hearts and last year 2023 actually became a BAFTA fellow like got one of the fellowships for BAFTA which was really significant as a costume designer to be recognised I know she'd already won like probably numerous and numerous BAFTAs hundred it's been nominated for like 15 and also 15 (laughs) Oscars but yeah she's an icon and we love her and so many of our friends love her if you knew Sandy how many people are like screaming that you're coming on the show including our friend Susie and Alyssa and Liz um Shout out to them. But we would like to welcome to Talk Art the legendary Sandy, Sandy Powell. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Oh my God. I hope I can <laughs> hope I can live up to that um introduction. I'm so embarrassed. We absolutely. You don't be embarrassed. You absolutely can. Is it quite funny? hearing Rob say that it's all been movies and not TV. Have you you must have been approached multiple times to work on TV projects? Funnily enough, no, not really. I haven't. And I think, I don't know why, actually. And I think, I've been asked a lot over the years why I don't do TV. And, and in the past, I was a real snob about it, you know, just because of the size <laughs> of the TV. You know, like in the old days when the TV was the size of a, a laptop screen, I kind of thought, I don't want to design things on such a small scale. I want them to be seen 20 foot high. And that was that was the reason, really. Of course, things are different now. And, and TV screens are much bigger. And there are really fantastic things being made for TV. Um, so I would obviously consider doing it now if it was the right thing. Very good. Where, uh, where where do we find you right now? Are you, are you currently like midway through starting a project? I'm sort of midway through pre-production on a film and also at the beginning of work on a stage show at the same time. Wow. So you started in theatre. I did. Is this the first time you've gone back to theatre since the beginning of your career? Um, not quite. I started in theatre with Lindsay Kemp and with small theatre companies in London in the 80s, actually, when there was a lot of, um, in the days when there was funding for fringe theatre. And we did lots of shows at the ICA. Then after that, I did about 25 years of dance design for a company called The Chumleys, two companies called The Chumleys and The Fanshaws with a choreographer called Lee Anderson. And actually, and actually, right the way through my film career, I was still sort of doing um, dance pieces just for the, those two companies. Although I haven't done anything for about 10 years. So this is my first 
step back into theatre and it's proper grown-up theatre, you know, in a, in a theatre with a proscenium arch, that sort of stuff, which I've never actually done before. What, and what's the, big, the biggest difference that you can say between costume designing for a movie and costume designing for theatre? Oh, well... I guess the obvious one is is for film, we get to see everything in close-up. And in the theatre, you don't, unless it's, of course, it's a production where there, where there are screens and, and things and projections, which happen a lot. But, I mean, on the whole, in the theatre, you're, you're designing for everything to be seen in the, you know, the back row of the gods. Um, so it's sort of bigger and bolder to an extent. And, and, and obviously, and film is, is to see close-up and is seen at every angle. I guess that that's the difference visually. That's the difference, and there's a whole different process and different, completely different way of working. It's going to be a challenge, that's for sure. But it seems like you love a challenge. Well, I, I think the similarity <laughs> for, for me with the acting when I get asked that question about the difference between theatre and film is about where you gather your thoughts, and when you're on stage, you gather your thoughts from the gods from up because mm. you're thinking of everybody at the back of the audience, mm. and when you're on film, you gather your thoughts from the floor. Because yeah. you're able to have that real intimacy with the camera, which is so. I guess if you're designing, I really love this idea that when it comes to theatre, you're really considering the cheap seats at the back. Yeah, you have to, of course. So this stage in a production, is there an anxiety which kicks in? Do you have like a hello darkness old friend coming to you when you work on jobs, or are you at a stage now where you're so clear-headed with this process that you can just sail through it? Where I am at the moment is about six, seven weeks in to prep and we start shooting in 10 weeks on the film this is. And so right now I'm running on adrenaline. I'm, I'm going with it. I've got over the initial stage. The first couple of weeks, as much as they're exciting, that's always the terrifying part where I think I'm, I'm not going to have an idea. I don't know how to do this. I don't know where to begin. And it's strange. It happens every time. So although you go through that, though you have that anxiety and doubt, there's also a voice in the back of your head saying, well, you know, you're going to have to. It's, it's, something's going to ha- you, You're going to have to have an idea. The idea will come because, you, you know, no one ever gets sent on to the set naked, you know. It'll happen. Yet. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, what, where do you start then? What Do you start with a sketch or a piece of fabric or...? doesn't ever start with a sketch. It starts with, hmm... Well, it starts, first of all, with research and looking at images. I just keep looking at things and looking at things or reading things and talking, as having as many conversations with the people I'm working with as possible. And the people I have working around me, my assistants, I tend to just talk to them the whole time rather than write notes. It's sort of like if I keep voicing things um, and I get feedback, it sort of feeds ideas. And I don't ever start with drawings unless I'm unless I'm sort of trying to work out a shape or work out something technically is when I'll do a scribble or a sketch I'd never do a drawing of a costume and present it and say this is what you're going to look like because I don't actually know what that's going to be because it's an organic process the costume develops and grows with the actor during the fittings now Russell you know you you go to fittings you know what happens in fitting rooms and you know you generally try a bunch of stuff on until until yeah (laughs) until you hit on the right thing and when you hit on the right thing at that point then the designer will then sort of work on that and start developing that idea i heard it's a lot of psychology involved like both in like the kind of uh, idea process but also when you're working with an actor you have to sort of get their trust very quickly absolutely that's what i've always said the first thing you have to do is is get their trust because Mm. Yeah, well, I don't want to generalise, but I mean, all actors are insecure in some form or another, as are all people. So (gasps) what you have to do... (laughs) How dare you? I can verify that. (laughs) They are. I mean, you know, they're kind of of looking for their character and it's it's our job as costume designers to help them find the character with their clothing. I mean, that's one aspect of it. You have to, you have to really get somebody's trust and you have to really understand their neuroses as, as quickly as possible in the nicest possible way. So, so like that, a therapist. You know, definitely. A there's work, a lot of that. Therapist. And wow, it's not wow, just wow. dealing with the actors. It's also dealing with the other people you have to work with, like dealing with directors. You have to sort of understand how to approach or deal with each director because everybody's different. There'll be directors who will want to have an opinion and there'll be some directors who will say, I'll just leave it up to you. And then you'll, there'll be directors who will want to think they've had the idea. <laughs> 
And so right. you you find ways of navigating that and and making everybody feel comfortable and happy and again confident in in what you're doing. Well, I've seen lots of drawings online of costumes that you've worked on. So at what stage and are these drawings made by you or your team? Because they're really adept. They're really like, the draftsmanship is phenomenal. Okay, no, I do all my own drawings, but <gasps> I do my drawings at the end. Once the costumes are done, they're actually illustrations. So at the end of a film, when you've done it, generally somebody, or, or when the film is coming out, you get approached for the costume drawings because they want them for publicity. They like to use those to publicise the film and to sort of promote the costumes. And so I do them once the film is finished or once we're underway and I'm not having to run around designing stuff, I actually then sit down and do the drawings, which are in fact illustrations. Now, quite often those drawings have started out as sketches as I'm working. They have started out as a sketch that I give to a tailor or a cutter to say, this is the shape of the thing that I want. And then I just uh, colour them in properly afterwards when I when I know how they've how they've turned out, which is why the drawings look exactly like the costumes. So do you have an archive for yourself of all of these drawings over the years? I've got all the drawings, yeah. I have all my own drawings, yeah. I mean, so where did you learn the skill of drawing costumes? Because it, it also feels like a really overlooked um, medium within art because we see so many designers, especially like in fashion, that have made Yves Saint Laurent, for example, made these incredible drawings of all the clothes they work on, but they've it's only feels up like recently that they get really appreciated. And your the, the actual skill set in your drawing, in your draftsmanship is phenomenal. The way you use watercolour oh, is thank beautiful. You. Yeah, but I just feel like you've not really been appreciated for that. They just appear and it says your name and nobody's actually critiquing the actual work that goes into these, as you're calling them, illustrations. They, I don't think they are illustrations. Hmm. I mean, I think I can't draw. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think I can't oh draw. God. No, I, every time I sit down, I think, okay, I've got to do the drawings now. And I've absolutely got to do them. And I sit down and there's the blank page and I think, I, I can't, do, I don't know how to do it. Of course, the first few are horrible and they, I throw them away and then I get into the swing of it. And then when I'm in the swing of it, I really enjoy it and I like it. And I don't. I guess, in a way, I have always drawn. I, did, I used to draw and paint a lot more as a, as a kid and as a teenager before I started doing this as a job, I used to draw and paint more. And I look, I, I can look back on my early work and, and think it's much better, that it was much more um, technically better then than it is now. So I guess in effect, the answer to the question is I've been doing it for many years and that's why I know how to do it. And if I set my mind to it, I can do it. And I should do it more. You if should. you go back to your, to your teens and your childhood, like did you feel like you were the kind of person that needed to express yourself through the drawn line or or by being an artist? Was it easier than words? I don't know. I did it because I enjoyed it. I don't think I necessarily painted pictures or or drew things to express. I didn't think I was expressing myself. I did it just because I really enjoyed it. What mm. I did do, I'd made clothes for myself. And I think that was about expressing myself. And I'd always made, ever since a kid, I'd made my own clothes. And I very much wanted to wear clothes that no one else had, as opposed to right. look like everybody else. So I know I was a bit of a show off in that respect, especially in my teens and early twenties. Yeah. And were there were there things that were inspiring you? Like you know, was was it music? Was it dance? Or, or you know, what what kind of inspirations were you getting at that point? Fashion, actually, I love fashion, mm. and I used to I used to read my mum's fashion magazines. Like in the sixties and seventies, there was an amazing fashion magazine called Nova magazine that oh. was really brilliant, and I can I can still remember uh, some of the images from it, which I loved, and so. As a very young kid, I used to make my own fashion magazines and draw clothes. I did draw clothes then and make clothes. So that, and then obviously music and theatre and film. I mean, all of those were inspiring. I've heard a famous quote from you that says costume is more interesting than fashion, though. So that must mm -hmm. have, like, that must, that realisation must have come at some point, I guess. I suppose, yeah. I suppose. I, I think costume, for me, as a career, is more interesting than fashion, as much as I love fashion. In I think yeah. I enjoy... I enjoy the collaborative thing, but I also enjoy storytelling and I enjoy characters. And I think that's what's, that's why I like costumes. I like thinking about the characters and I like people. Mm. I want to go back to the drawings, Sandy, that you don't think are very good. So when you were drawing <laughs> the fashion as a kid, was this copying fashion you were seeing in your mum's magazines or was you thinking about other ways of making it look? No, I wasn't copying things. I was copying maybe... I remember there was another 
you know, teenage girl magazine called Jackie Magazine that had fashion drawings, very 70s, very sort of 60s, 70s drawings. And I copied the style of drawing. And then I think I drew my own clothes on them. I don't remember exactly. And I've lost those. And I, I, I wish I had them still. I'd love to see them, but I don't have them. But I just remember doing them. And you've, have you been approached to do like a publication of your drawings or like a, you no, know? No, no, surely... one's, no one's ever talked about my drawings Right, okay, before. this is quite a shame. <laughs> so funny. This, this is going to kick something off. Because I, I just think it. they're amazing. <laughs> and, and, and there should be like a V&A exhibition where we have the drawing yeah. and we have the, the costume. Well, there is going to be an exhibition of my work next year in Ooh, Atla- exclusive. At, yeah, in Atla- <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia. Sadly, I mean, it's good that there's an exhibition, Ooh. but it sadly is not in this country. Uh, and that's going to be happening, hopefully, supposedly in September, and that will include the drawings as well as the costumes. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> so good so you're really well known and obviously award-winning for things like Shakespeare in Love and like Velvet Goldmine and so many films that we all will have seen and loved. When you're doing those kind of period dramas, I was really interested to know, because you're obviously making them in the 90s or in the 2000s, you know, or the present day, but you're looking back at a historical moment. Do you sort of look at the current time and think how a current audience might relate to those clothes. Do you get what I mean? So it's not yeah. just like totally a replica. Is there some sense of like the new in the old? Well, I don't think, I don't design with a modern audience in mind in order to please the modern audience. But I think it's absolutely, totally inevitable that whatever you do is going to have a modern take to it. I mean, you can you can date any period film just by looking at it. And it's usually from the hair and the makeup. It's usually for the, the actual fabrics that are used the colours that are used, because that's all comes from what is being produced now, currently, for Mm. fashion. So, you know, there are certain fabrics that are fashionable. There are certain colours that are fashionable. So if you look at something, a period film in the the 70s, there'll be, or 60s, there'll be sort of orange and purple and all those sort of mad colours. I mean, I remember in My Fair Lady, which was made when, was it, I can't, 60s, early, uh, late 60s, early 70s, which is meant to be Edwardian. And there was this mad floral wallpaper that's, like wild colours that look completely psychedelic. It looked completely 60s, but it's sort of Edwardian <laughs> flavour. And that's what happens. Or Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra with a pointy bosoms. You know, she's got a 50s pointy bra on. So you can always date it. And then she'll have had 50s eyeliner makeup on that wasn't quite Egyptian. So as much as you might try to be historically accurate, there will always be elements of the of the decade that you're in. So... I- you know. It's a creative license, I guess. It is. and Dance you know, around a bit. And yeah. it's impossible. I mean, it would be impossible to make a Victorian dress in the, exactly the same way as a Victorian dress would have been made because it, the machinery now is different. You know what I mean? If you actually look at original pieces of clothing, the fabrics are much finer, the stitches are tinier. I mean, people were smaller then, which is why everything was smaller, but it's just everything was a lot finer then. Everything is much bigger and rougher and bolder now and it would be really impossible to make something absolutely 100% historically accurate because we just don't have the same resources or materials. And, you know, and, and anyway, you know, we're telling, we're, we're sort of telling stories. We're not creating museum pieces, you know, or making documentaries. Yes. How do you choose what to do? What What is the initial spark? Is it the script? Is it a conversation with the director? How do you know? Because you, you must be inundated with offers of... of movies and people to work with well if it's a director I've already worked with and like obviously there's that and I would consider anything a director I liked and worked with before was doing um or if it was a director I really admired and always wanted to work with so director and script a script is really essential I mean even if even if it was a director I really liked and the script I hated or I didn't think there was anything that I could contribute or it wasn't my kind of thing I wouldn't do so it's yeah the script and Script and director. Equally. And do you get a vision within like a, a certain number of pages of reading the script of how you can sort of visualise the world? Or does that take a bit longer to come to you? I think, no, you definitely have not a clear vision, not a very clear specific vision, but definitely a feeling. Definitely a, a feeling or, yeah, a feeling or an atmosphere or a sort of, I mean, usually if it's something, if it's interesting, it's an, an excitement and anticipation, excitement, and then again, you know, followed followed closely by the, the sort of feeling of uh, 
scared. Yeah. Dread. Terror. You've got to do it. Terror. Fear. Yeah. 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 No, the best bit about, yeah, best bit about a job is getting the job and then you think, oh, fuck, now I've got to do it. You know, I've got to have the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about getting the job, I heard that in your early career, you were really sort of proactive in a way. And I think it really strikes me as like someone that was just so passionate that you wanted to do it so badly that you just sort of called people, met people, did anything you could to get the job. And it really inspired me because I just thought it was a nice message for people listening who are younger maybe or even mid-career but trying to get a break somehow that you just need to connect to another person that you really admire so if you think of like you and Lindsay Kemp or you and Derek Jarman like there's these stories of like telephone conversations or, or visits or yeah yeah can you speak a bit about for example like Lindsay Kemp because Lindsay Kemp was one of my all-time heroes oh, so really? I was you know thrilled about that connection well I mean I first saw Lindsay Kemp and I was, I was 16 or 17 and I went to see him at the Roundhouse in London. Of course, I knew about him because I'd read everything there was to read about David Bowie. And I'd heard that Lindsay Kemp had worked with David Bowie during his Ziggy Stardust years. And so I knew of him. I knew what he did and I knew what he looked like. And I knew kind of the world that he worked in. And so I went to see this, this show called Flowers, which was based on the Genet novel um, Notre Dame des Fleurs and was blown away. I mean, I... I hadn't seen anything like it and I was just transfixed and astounded and I just thought okay this is the world I want to be part of I want I want this and then that led to me going to art school and it led me studying theatre design and I'd seen it and then he'd come to London a couple of other times and I'd gone to see the shows repeatedly and then there was one day when I was um, in my second year at at college studying theatre design that I noticed that he was um, in London doing dance classes at the Pineapple Dance Centre in, in Covent Garden. So I took myself off and attended a dance class. Um, it wasn't really dance. It was, I don't know, it was all mad self-expression. And we had to sort of waft around the room and pretend to be a cherry blossom or fall in love with a person standing next to you. And at the end of that class, I went up and said, oh, I really like you. You know, you, you really inspire me. I love your work. Can I show you some of my college work? And I think I had a handful of drawings. And we went out for a drink. I think we went to the pub and he looked at my work and then we just sort of became friends instantly. And I spent the rest of the summer doing crazy classes with him. Ended up going back to Barcelona where he lived with him that summer and then called up my college and said, I'm not coming back. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'd like to have a year off before completing my degree. I've been offered work. And then he did give me work and then I didn't go back. And that was in Milan? It was in Milan. That's where the first job I ever did outside of college was designing the costumes for a show called Nijinsky, about the dancer Nijinsky and Diaghilev, for Lindsay in the studio theatre space at La Scala, Milan. I, had, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But muddled through. But, but but was everyone incredibly supportive of your vision? Did you feel like at any point anyone was tapping you going like, no one can wear that on stage, Sandy? What are you no, doing? No, well, or... in this particular case, it wasn't me going in saying, okay, this is what you're wearing. It was Lindsay was very much a part in every aspect of the shows. I mean, he was he sort of designed the sets and had people working with him. He, he knew about clothes. He designed costumes. So I think... I can't remember exactly how it worked because we just sort of worked together and he told me the kind of thing he wanted and then I was working with other people in his company who knew him. It just sort of, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? It just came together somehow and I, I knew how to make things. So, I mean, I was making the clothes myself as well. So, I don't know, I think, I think I was just so lucky to have such a start working with somebody like that who was incredibly generous and, and maybe luckily it, it, he just liked what I did. And I learned a hell of a lot. I mean, I learned so much for those first few years working with him. Have you been able to hold on to the costumes you made from that era? No, I mean, not for him, no. I mean, they were well, the costumes were then used over and over and over again because they toured constantly throughout Europe and then they'd fall apart and then they'd get remade again. So they weren't ever mine to, to have. I've got lots of photographs. And you were working on a theatre production when you invited Derek Jarman to come and see your work. Yeah, that was a that was a theatre production in London at the ICA with a company called Rational Theatre. And it was a show called Rococo, which was uh, 
it was like a, a very contemporary take on sort of the 18th century. And there was like mad sort of modern versions of 18th century costumes. I actually can't remember what the show was about, quite honestly. <laughs> but it was, but it was very, it was very visual. And we made these huge headdresses that were like wigs that are about two foot tall. It was mad. And I thought at that point I was interested in in going into film because I was designing the sets as well, and I wasn't so interested in that. Um, and I'd seen I'd seen Jubilee and the Tempest and Sebastian, and I thought, oh, he looks like a good person to work with. So yeah, I got his phone number from a friend who'd bumped into him in heaven. Of course. Caught him up. (laughs) And he, yeah, he came to see the show and again invited me out to his his flat in um, Charing Cross Road, Phoenix House, Charing Cross Road for tea. And that was the beginning of that relationship. I mean, you know, I was incredibly lucky, I guess, and bold for just going ahead and asking people, but. And and as you say, going back to young people, it's what I tell young people to do. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? What's the and worst thing that can happen is someone could ignore you or say no or, you know, you have a go. But you were obviously good. That's why these people were attracted to what you were creating. Lindsay said, Lindsay, I did ask Lindsay what, you know, what made him take me on. And I had, um, he said he liked, I had purple hair. I had a sort of purple Louise Brooks bob at the time and was wearing matching purple harem pants or something. This was like 1980, <laughs> you know, what we're talking, 81, 82, yeah. New romantics. So he took you on because of what you was wearing? Well, <laughs> no, I, th- yeah. I think it helped. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com How, how did that happen with Derek then? What, what was his reasons? Did he ever say to you why he no, sort no. of was instantly, why you guys connected? Because this became such a firm friendship. He became a mentor to you. Yeah. He's still someone that you reference. Every interview I've read on you, it's like Derek Jarman set you up, set you yeah. off, like made you, made you, like opened your brain. He did that to a lot of people, though. That was the incredible thing about Derek. He was so generous and he liked young people. You know, he just gave. I mean, on Caravaggio, you know, I seem to remember the average age was like 25. I mean, so young. I mean, it was so many people's first film. Um, I guess we were all cheap as well, or free. You know, that helped. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing. Back then, you'd work for free a lot, and that doesn't happen now because it's not allowed. But, um, you know, you just do anything just to sort of for experience and to, to gain knowledge. But his advice was to go and make like between theatre and starting at when you was 25 and Caravaggio was to go and make music videos, which Rob was saying in the intro. That's... So what was the reason thinking behind that? Because it was a good introduction to film. You know, you're making like three-minute films, short three-minute films. And I guess what you, you're putting something in front of a camera, which is very different from putting something onto a stage. And so that's what he did. I guess that's what I had. I had a, a trial for a year doing music videos, some of them with him, some of them with other people. And maybe during that time, he maybe he was testing me out. I don't know. Was you doing the Pet Shop Boys then? And that came a bit later. The pet, yeah. All oh, right. We did, we did I did It's a Sin with him, and I'd already done a couple of films with him by the time we did. Did that you do one. It's a Sin? Yeah. I love that video. Oh my, oh my god. god, Sandy! I didn't know that. Oh, bit. Wow. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, cool. Oh my god. And didn't you work with the Smiths as well? We did do a Smiths video, but they weren't there. They weren't actually in it. I can't remember. It was a bunch of people on a bus and people... I can't, I mean, 
I can't remember. It was like in the Docklands. I mean, usually most things were, were filmed down in the Docklands before it was what it is now. We filmed Caravaggio in Canary Wharf when it was just like a warehouse, an unsoundproofed warehouse. I didn't know that the the music videos you were making were ones that Derek was working on. So he he sort of mentored you th- through that. I, I assumed that he'd said, go off, make music videos. Here's some contacts or something. And then you... No, I did quite a few with him, but also he introduced me to the to the production company that he worked with that also employed me to do films with other directors. So I did a good couple of years of those. And they were crazy. Looking back on that, they were crazy because you have so little time and you're always up all night the night before making things, then up all night the night of the shoot. Uh, mad, but really a really good sort of um, training ground. And if you think about things like Orlando and collaborating with actors like Tilda Swinton, like what was that like? Because I imagine that must have been a really interesting experience because you've gone on to work with so many iconic, you know, Hollywood level of actors like Kate Blanchett, all these people, Julianne Moore, I think, like loads of people. But I imagine Tilda's, Tilda for me is another like person I adore because I think she's such a individual spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, we started out together. We grew up together because it was... Caravaggio was her first film. So we did Caravaggio together. Then after that, we did a film called The Last of England with Derek. And then we did Wittgenstein and we did Edward II. So there were four films who did one after the other. And it was sort of like a family, you know, it was the same sort of small group of people. But um, And then Orlando was just was going one step high, you know, a little bit more money in the budget to do Orlando, not a great deal. I mean, it was still a low budget film, but it was one step up from the German films. Did working with Derek, is there comparisons with Scorsese, say, and Todd Haynes and Yorgos Lanthimos? Is there like, is there an element of what he was doing at that time that you go, oh yeah, I can see what people are doing now? Or was it just so unique? It was unique and there have been one or two. I mean, no, nothing has ever, oh, sound horrible, no, nothing's ever quite matched it, but then maybe it was amazing because it was my first experience. It's like your first love, isn't it? You know, nothing's quite the same. It's different. You have different relationships with different directors. Some are just purely work and who you, you, you work, you love working with them, you respect them, purely work, and others you become friends with. And the same with actors. I mean, I don't have hundreds of actor, friends who are actors and, or hundreds of friends who are directors, but uh, there, are, there have been a couple of directors since Derek who I feel are just as exciting. I'm actually not going to name names. <laughs> are, are, you, are you friends of other costume designers? Is that, yes. is that a sort of you are? Okay. Oh God, yeah. No, we're. All, do you know what? That's that's what's so funny is that people assume that all the costume designers are rivals. We're all friends. We all know each other. We all bump into each other the whole time because you all work in the same places. You know, we all go to the same. I mean, like where I am right now. I'm in the. I'm in Angel's Costume House in London, where I've spent all day. It's the end of the day now. It's all closed down. But you, you run into people the entire time and we're all friends and we all swap stories and we all swap resources and sources. You know, if I, I'll sort of say to, to somebody, I'll say, oh God, you know, I really, I can't find a decent tailor at the moment. Have you got anybody? I can, what can, you know, where can I get this? Or well, no, we great. all help each other out and we all sympathise with each other because we know how hard the job is sometimes. Yeah. And I heard you, you dedicated one of your awards, I think it was an Oscar maybe, to um, an Academy Award, to all the costume designers that hadn't worked on sort of those big movies. Well, exactly. It was. there was a term you used. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, monarch movies. I mean, I think it's... A monarch movies, yeah. <laughs> no, dead monarchs. Films like dead monarchs. Yeah, it's... Uh, no, because really <laughs> what happens, nine times out of ten, the, the costume BAFTA or Oscar will go to a period film or a big spectacular, it's either got a thousand costumes in it or it's a period <laughs> yeah. or it's about dead monarchs. And so and hundreds of films, hundreds and hundreds of films are made of contemporary films and they have designers as well and they do not get recognised in the same way and they do exactly the same job and it's just as difficult. I mean, I do, I rarely do contemporary. I think it's really difficult. It's a really hard thing to do. And I think some people are really good at contemporary and other people are better at period or fantasy or, you know, and and those people never get recognised. What's it like watching other people's films? Because I heard a really funny quote where you said something like, I can tell if the shoes haven't been worn three times, you know, to make it look like they've actually been worn by the character. (laughs) And that would really bug you if you're watching somebody else's film. And I was so fascinated by that because you must never be able to relax. (laughs) No, I do. I actually do. If the film is really good and everything is really good, of course, I can relax. And I do just forget about everything. 
But having said that, I did watch a film just recently where somebody was sat at a desk with his feet on the desk and the camera was there and the shoes had never, they'd look like they'd just come out of the box. You know, there wasn't a mark on the bottom. And I thought, unless that was, you know, in the storyline, which it wasn't, that was little things like that. But then no one else would notice that. It doesn't really matter. Do awards get passe? Because, you know, you've been nominated 15 times for Academy Awards. You won three, you won three BAFTAs, you won two Costume Guild Awards. Is it at some point you like, nah, another award, it doesn't really matter? Or is it every single time it's a buzz? No, every single time it is a buzz, I have to say. It's a buzz and it's also a, yeah, no, it's of course it's a buzz. And it's a bit, it's a weird thing. You also think, oh no, I've got to go through all this again. And <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but it, it is. It's it's a lot of work. Once you get nominated, you then have to put the work in. And the, and the, and the, and the, the PR companies make you work for it and make you do all the press and a lot of running around. And then it's the pressure of having to, you, you kind of have to perform. And, and we're not, our job is behind the camera, not in front of it. But a lot of the time we're expected to talk and be in front of a camera and do all this stuff that we're not actually trained to do. So there's all of that. But then once you're there, once you're in the room, of course you can't, you know, it's a buzz. You can't not feel it. And it's like you've been, I always liken it to being put into a race you haven't entered yourself into. But then because you're in the race, <laughs> then, you know, you've you got to run. Can't, you gotta run. <laughs> yeah. And you and you want to win it. You know, you never sit there thinking, oh, I don't care if I don't win. Quite often, but sometimes there are times when you're relieved when you don't. You think, oh, that's it. I can go to the bar now. That, that <laughs> chapter's done. Do you, yeah. do you see the trophies, the statues as works of art in themselves? You know, because they're, they're, there's real design that gone into them. The Oscar, this kind of um, knight standing on a reel of film with this this sword, and then the BAFTAs, this comedy comedy tragedy face. But it, there's been real consideration over the years. I mean, and, and now they're just seen as like that's that's the Academy Award, that's the, mm. that's the BAFTA. But they are actually sculptural objects. Well, those two are. There's plenty of really ugly ones. <laughs> Where do they go? Do they get hidden oh, yeah. away? I've had some, I've had some horrors. I shouldn't say that. Should I? No, there there are some 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 really ugly ones, and you wonder, my goodness, somebody's designed this. Um, <laughs> but are they nice to live with statues? Are you someone that lives with them, or are they in the bathroom, or are they? They're not in a room I go to every day. <laughs> they're, okay. they're in a they're in a room on a shelf that I don't really see very often. When they're... you need a pep up, though, you'll step in that room. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> How has art influenced your life? And if you think back to working with Jarman, and obviously you were working at a time, he was obviously an artist, but like, you know, there must have been so much art around at that time. Has art in- influenced your designs? I think art's always influenced my life, even as a kid. I mean, I've always liked art, and I remember being dragged around art galleries by my mum as a kid. Yeah, I'm saying dragged around because my mum had a particular fondness for Turner paintings, which I, I found tediously boring then. You know, I mean, I and I always preferred um, figurative work, but I think I've always been aware of it, always enjoyed it. And I don't know whether, I'm obviously, I, I'm influenced by art and inspired by art. And I look at art for whatever job I'm doing. There's always art that you look at. You look, you know, the first thing I do on any job, whatever it is, is just go through my own personal library of books, whatever it is. And I, I think you can get inspiration from anything, even if it's you're looking at something from another period, just looking at, at paintings, maybe the quality of the paint, maybe it's a composition or maybe it's the combination of two or three different colours together will give me an idea for something. So, yeah, I mean, art is everywhere and, you know, it's always an inspiration. Do you buy books a lot? Is that is that a big kind of I collection? do still buy books, yes. I still do. I mean, a lot of people... A lot of people don't even use books anymore because you can get you can access so much online, but it's not the same as looking at a book. It really isn't the same as flicking through a book. And, and you know, I know where every book is in my room. You know, I know where they are inside the book. I know what there is. And you can have lots of books out and open on the table at the same time. And that's not the same as having lots of pages on your laptop open at the same time. It's just not the same. Yeah, you you absorb it differently, don't you? Yeah, you do. Kind of soaks yeah, in in yeah I, I yeah. remember something on paper much easier than remember something on a screen. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, yeah. analog. Mm. I heard in the pandemic you repainted your house as well. Do you, do you live with <laughs> art in your house? <laughs> I, I was really fascinated, thinking like, what does Sandy Powell's house look like? Because uh, I can imagine it being if you studied set design originally as well. Like I don't know. Um, my house doesn't look extraordinary. It's got nice colours on the walls, 
it took me a long time to get the colour absolutely right. I do have art on my walls, yeah, lots of it. And I've, I've bought art. I haven't bought anything recently. Well, I have actually, I lie. I actually bought a painting by the artist Sadie Lee. Oh, you did the exhibition? She painted you? Yes, Shocking she did. Blue. Yeah, and I bought one of them. Oh, did you? But interestingly, I bought the first ever painting she sold in the 90s, way no, back when really? she was really young. Yeah, and I saw an exhibition of hers and I loved them. And I bought this huge, big painting. I think she's called Butch in Denim. And it's blue background and of, a, of, a, of a woman in denim. Very fierce looking woman, looks out. And I've had her on my wall since the 90s, yeah. And then, then, right. then Sadie approached me to paint me. So I happily did it and then purchased what that was my last purchase was one of her paintings and it's what it was it's one of the back views i couldn't live with a, a front view she painted how many paintings and what, this was in 2021 she, at the new art yeah. projects and it was titled shocking blue and there was portraits of you with sadie and there was a, a bowie costume but the blue was referencing no, jarman's blue there were lots yeah basically she painted um six paintings there were three pairs and the first one was me wearing the blue suit that i had made for the BAFTAs that was based on the Life on Mars Bowie suit. So she painted me fully dressed from the front. Then she painted the back view. Then the next couple of paintings where she wanted me disheveled. So that was the suit sort of with the tie undone. The jacket was off. Yeah, the jacket was off. The tie was undone. It was disheveled. Front view and back view. And then the final was no suit at all in my underwear front view mm. and back view and I can't believe mm. I actually did that I did the underwear then I stopped I'm not doing anymore it's, <laughs> it's ending at the underwear that's it and what did you did you have to sit for her or was it done with photos, photos. we did we did uh, oh so that's a bit easier I was going to ask was it a pressure having to be a sitter no we did a couple of days of she took a million photographs and then she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't do the painting from just one photograph she does it from a combination of them or composes from a combination oh, of, the, nice. of the pictures to get the essence. And she's London-based. And I know she, she takes is, part yeah. in, every year in the the portrait prize or the portrait, the National Portrait Gallery yeah. selection she's she's involved with. Yeah. Are there any artists that you particularly love, like from history or oh, contemporary? Oh, God, that's or, a not, difficult not question. Turner. Of course there are. Not Turner. <laughs> yeah, but like who are a few of the, 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 you know, like for me it's Frida Kahlo, for example. Oh, like, yeah. Do you have like kind of buzz ones? I love Holbein, actually. Mm. Do you? I love the Holbein portraits. Yeah. And they're very little. And the colours, I love the the colours that he paints, the backgrounds, actually. But I love Holbein. I also love Cranach, talking like way old. But then I also love the German expressionists. Or I love Egon Schiele. Yes. Um, That makes sense. Otto Dix. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to realize. I mean, you know, they're the the ones that come to mind that I like. Portraits, actually. I like portraiture. I think one of my favourite things about portraiture, if you go to National Portrait Gallery or the National Gallery, is that you can cast it with actors. You go, well, there's Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch. He can play that role. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, <laughs> Robbie Coltrane could have played that character. Yeah. There's like you go around and you can see actors because faces stay the same, don't they? Yeah, they do. No, I love that. Or when you when I meet people, or I see, or if I see somebody on the street or on the tube that's got a period face, and you think, oh my god, they look so nineteenth century. They look so fifteenth century. And you want to take them and dress them up. That's that's yeah, great yeah, when you yeah. find the right face. Because there because there are plenty of people that have completely contemporary faces and modern faces. Which I think there are some faces like with. But sometimes I'll there'll be an actor or an extra where whatever you do to them, they look modern. And that's because of their face. And it's, it's strange. Or they've been put in the wrong period. What uh, what period face have me and Rob got, in oh, your opinion? A... <laughs> <laughs> that's tri- that is really tricky. You could be, actually, Rob, you could be Elizabethan. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Jeez, you could be. <laughs> I love that. And Russell, I would, so could you, actually. You could both be Elizabethan or a bit earlier. Thanks, Sam. Hard to tell. That's, 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 that's a compliment. I'm seeing. I'm visualising yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm visualising you in the in the, yeah, the get up. Roughs yes. and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very chic. So you two met through the Saraban Foundation, which is the Alexander McQueen yeah. uh, Foundation. After Lee passed away, they set up this amazing foundation to support new talent, artists, creatives, uh, designers. How how are you involved with them? I'm just um, involved with them because I'm interested. I mean, I was invited yeah. to. Um, I was invited to the a sort of. Not the opening, but it was a year ago when they, they 
obtained the new building and it was they just had a little sort of open evening where artists mm. were displaying their work and I found it fascinating and I just I just got speaking to a few of the artists then was interested in it. and then since then um Trino's been inviting me back to various events and I did a talk I did one of their their talks that happened there frequently and I'm just really interested in supporting young artists, actually. And I, it's, you know, I find yeah. young people and young people's work also incredibly inspiring. Yeah, because yeah. I was really interested that you chose a kind of young New York designer when you got the fellowship of the BAFTA, along with a tailor. Her surname's Sukup, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Hannah Sukup, yeah. And I, I loved that outfit, that, that suit you it had. It was amazing. With the kind of, um, the shape. We'll do a post of it. But also your hair. Like as a whole look, <laughs> it was just like all about movement. But it yeah. made me weirdly think about Lindsay Kemp. It was almost like some kind of reference back to your early days. I suppose now. it I was. Know. It was a little bit, it was quite theatrical, put it that way. And I, punk as it well. Looked a bit, it was kind of cool. I kind of thought it was like, a bit Klaus Nomi as well. And not, Klaus Nomi, It was a bit yes. Klaus Nomi, wasn't it? Was that exciting to kind of collaborate with a young? It was great. You know, you know what designer. happened? She, I met her a few years ago where I chased her down the street because she was wearing a sculptural piece of knitwear that I really liked. And I said, "Where did you get that from?" She said, "Oh, I made it." And I've got a market stall at the weekend. Come and see me. So I went to see her, and I I commissioned a couple of. It was just scarves actually, but really sculptural. And we sort of stayed in touch. And then it was last year last autumn she actually just got in touch with me and said oh I'm making these um I'm working on these new shapes these I'm making some trousers that I think you'd really like and she sent me a photograph of them and she said if you'd like them I'd love to make a pair for you and I said I love them they look fantastic can you do that and it was after that so she made them and I actually did I happened to be in New York anyway so I was able to go for a fitting and I thought they were just incredible I thought now I need an occasion to wear them I don't know where I'm going to wear them and then uh, I was told about the BAFTA Fellowship, obviously in <laughs> advance of getting it. And I thought, what a brilliant place to, you know, to debut those those trousers. So that's where I wore them. That's And I thought, a great opportunity. I don't have to go out and find something to wear. I don't have to, you know, I don't, I wouldn't particularly need to be advertising a, an established designer. And I thought, yeah, it's, a great it's opportunity, very, yeah. great opportunity to show yeah. off somebody else's work. It's very work. generous as well, though, Sandy. That's like, you could have the opportunity to be, to be dressed by, you know, Prada or something, but you've, you're you're looking for these younger generations and giving them a huge opportunity to be seen on yeah, the global I thought it was scale. Really cool. Very yeah. generous. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into our final questions now because we're worried about time, and you get oh, yeah. locked out of angels. Oh, I um, am actually. Yes, you're right. <laughs> so, if you could do an art heist, you could have any artwork in the world for yourself. It couldn't be clothes. It could be something historical. What would it be, and why? I think it would have to. Oh, I think it would be one of the Holbeins. Mm. from the National Portrait Gallery. I don't know which one, but I would love to actually have a real Holbein on my wall. Mm. Well, luckily they're open again, so we can... Uh, Steal it. We can go and get one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if it was clothing, what would you... Um, clothing, uh, oh. It's a special that's, bonus. No, that's difficult. See, I'm, I'm not prepared for that one. Maybe oh, it something could be so many painting. No, I wouldn't want that. I'd want something I could wear. Mm. I mean... I mean, I'm just thinking of the last things I see. I, the Chanel exhibition, there's like a fantastic sequin pantsuit. I mean, something like that would be great. Like one of the first like trouser suits, Chanel trousers. Wow, a sequin pantsuit. I love that. Mm. Rob's got, um, Rob's got the a other, few of them. He can give you one. Yeah, I've got a few of those. <laughs> or, or I'm gonna. You're definitely a, yeah, I know a few people that follow your style. I have a friend called Alyssa who actually ended up getting Loewe boots or something because of you. Oh, really? Because I think you were in, the, yeah, you were in like the Loewe campaign yeah. with Jonathan Anderson. And um, my fr I actually tracked them down for her uh -huh. at, at like an outlet village because we couldn't find them anywhere. It's hilarious. Um, what is your favourite colour? All colours. Ooh, I can't have a favourite nice. colour. I love colour. The rainbow. Okay, no, I, no, I love colour. I mean, not just any old how. I'm very specific about shades of colour, but I love colour. Mm. And there's a lot of colour I don't like, but it's got to be the right shades of each colour. What colour don't but you like? Oh, there is a colour I don't like. A sort of old lady mauve. It's it's it's. <laughs> Again, a lot of it's, Rob's wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that ger germaline pink. Or there's a lavendery lilac-y, it's a dirty mauve colour that is really ugly. I really don't like that. <laughs> Do you, would, would you ever be tempted to like face your like disgust? Like you hate that colour so much, but is it worth like dedicating yourself to it? 
somehow. Oh, do you know oh, what, what I mean? Like, oh, I try to do... Like, almost like... Because sometimes in art, your, I, yeah. thing, things that I hated, like, vehemently, have ended up becoming my favourite mm, things. I can't imagine it ever being my favourite thing. I could imagine <laughs> using it. I'd quite... It'd be quite interesting to use it on a character, maybe. Yeah. Who yeah, you, you hated. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Final question. What is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, I guess it's Derek again, isn't it? It's uh, Derek said that you really, one should go to work every day with the same excitement or anticipation of going to a party. Oh, that's beautiful. Because otherwise, recently, yeah. otherwise, what's the point? You know what I mean? It's uh, you have to really, well, you know, if you're lucky enough to do a job where you can enjoy it that much, then you should really make sure that you enjoy it. Amazing. And has it, has it been like a party for you, your career? Not every step of the way, but yes, I really, I do, I really do love my work, and I think I'm happiest when I'm working. So, in that we respect, are, yes, we are happy to be talking to you, Sandy. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on Talk Art. It's it's a real, real, real honour to share this with yeah, you, and truly, oh, it's just thank an, you. another act of generosity of yours for us. So, thank you. Yeah, particularly when you're in the middle of this uh, <laughs> new project, and you've now and, got to uh, sleep in angels overnight. Um, you can you can find Sandy on Instagram at the Sandy Powell, the Sandy Powell, and we'll be uh, connecting to her Instagram, but also posting pictures and some of the artworks we've discussed today. And um, is there anything that you've got coming out right now, Sandy, or coming up? In the- no, the film I'm working on at the moment won't come out for a year. The show I'm working on hopefully will open in June in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it's, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's called Gatsby and it's a musical version of The Great Gatsby with music by Florence Welsh. <gasps> Whoa, that's so cool. Mm. Oh, that's very exciting. What was the last film you did? The last film I did that came out was called Living, which was directed by Oliver Hermanus and had uh, mm. Bill Nye in. I haven't seen that yet, so also go and watch that. And we will be back very soon. Thank you, Sandy Powell. You're a legend and you're in our hearts. Okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com